0: Good morning and welcome to yet another episode of the State of Redemption Marketing Podcast. Today's episode is extremely exciting for me because it's with a brand that we've all grown up with. Pretty much all of us would have had an AquaGuard purifier at our homes to have water from. And this company has been a massive consumer brand and now they're going through a digital transformation exercise wherein uh, they will get even more consumer friendly. So we have with us Shubham. Thanks for doing this Shubham. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks Anku.
0: So we'd love to have a quick uh, rundown on your story, Shubham, where you've been, where you are, and how you've come to be at this point. And then we we'll delve further from there.
1: I've been into the industry for almost a decade and a half. Been with uh, consumer tech companies, been with a uh, media company, and now with uh, And of course, I had a four-year-long entrepreneurial stint, which was fun and exciting. Uh, with Eureka Forbes, I've been into this for almost a year now. A year? Almost eight months now. Ten months now. Uh, sounds like more of a multi-year journey by now. <laughs> But uh, the the charter here is exciting. Consumer durable companies uh, and the consumer durable market in India is growing at a, at a profit rate. Uh, the industry by itself is a little outside the digital mainstream, uh, and of course, with Forbes as a brand, as as a as a consumer durable brand, as a household brand, the brand equity is very very high. Uh, and what we want now is to look at technology driving that penetration and. the the brand uh, awareness leading into growth, leading into sales, leading into revenue and also driving the significant part of our uh, focus and contribution on the customer experience bit. So uh, the idea of digital transformation would lead into growth, lead into driving the rightful customer experience and build the rightful brand equity. Sure. And first, um, I would imagine for the scale
0: at which you already operate, digital transformation is going to be a comprehensive and complex exercise. So help us understand, Shubham. Then when you were brought in, what was the state of affairs, and now where are you heading towards with respect to the org design, the people, the tech, the data side of things? So we'll get to each of these, but let's just probably
1: start with the org uh, alignment. Not sure. So uh, from a consumer durable company standpoint, the the scope of technology or the scope of digital is largely limited into you know most of a uh, most of a third party led intervention uh, and then standard a legacy it kind of a setup uh, right and where you have uh, various vendors working and solving for different mm-hmm. sort of problems etc Uh slightly fragmented slightly disjointed mrp yeah yeah so, so that side of the world because you in the industry uh, and you wake up of that way it was not very different from uh, from a standard setup per se and and the right from erps right from different multi platforms for your sales and services sure. some of the platform on consumer offerings internal CRMs and, and, and consolidated ones, all of that. So we're pretty much all over the place in terms of where we are, where we were almost 10 months back. Not a lot of that has changed because it's such a significant and a mammoth kind of a setup. Uh, so that was, that was somewhere we started with. Uh, but what I found uh, very, very clearly that uh, there's a significant amount of uh, digital adoption, comma, intervention to be done to consolidate and build these platform in a very very comprehensive connected and agile way which would essentially mean that we would build the uh, the core of our product as platforms and then when i say platforms i would essentially look at saying that something that you build today should be able to easily extend flexible to adopt and ensure that the agility on building and adopting remains right mm. so while that may sound a little more greek and uh, a little more high level, what it essentially means is that you transform most of these setups into, a, uh, let's say on the technology world, into a microservices-led technology architecture stack, where you are able to then extend these platform at different use cases. Mm. But broadly speaking, the idea and intent was to first consolidate larger part of these platform and then change all of that into new age technology uh, tech setup, which can then further be extended, which would essentially means that you build a very robust and a comprehensive connected sales and services platform, a consumer-led platform. And while you're doing all of these, how are you able to leverage the data which is getting uh, collected across all of these interventions, right? So you create a, a mammoth big data platform which can then leverage the rightful data, build computation on top of that, leverage that computation power into machine learning models. And then a couple of these interventions can go to uh, from a consumer-led uh, interventions, consumer-led features or consumer-driven features and a couple of them can then lead into your back end operation, optimizing for your sales and service operations and, and corresponding. So the idea intent being that you solve and build all of that into core platform capabilities, consolidate most of them, build core platform capabilities and then extend your features and, and, and uh, features, interventions, et cetera, on top of that. Sure. So this would
0: automatically mean a lot of build versus buy decisions, right? Because technology resources are always going to be scarce, which means you will want to put them on stuff which is genuinely core to your business slash unavailable
1: outside. But how are you making these choices at this point? So I think uh, the way I look at uh, most of these is that uh, I'll I'll take a transactional uh, approach to things and then I always look at more from a mid to long term per se, right? So transactional, which is where we most of the time get caught up saying that, look, this business need, that business need, that business need. And then we look at from a vision standpoint, from another one to three year or five year standpoint, saying that this is what exactly we'll be needing from what, what is the transactional ask could actually meaning something here in a one to three or one to five year kind of a time frame. So while you evaluate solutions and options, I think that one, uh, first principle basis, uh, evaluation always helps which says that look let's say if you are trying to solve for a and i'll take very specific and yet very generic example let's say you want to solve for a crm yeah a crm is a very very standard tool now a crm would lead into a couple of these existing um, platform level solutions from microsoft from salesforce from other partners and then there will always be a you know an edge an of building all of that uh, in-house etc now the question that you need to ask from a crm uh, is not about what a CRM as a capability provide, right? I mean, that would be of course one part of the mm. the way um, a product lead or a or a tech engineer would would evaluate from a uh, from a features and from a scale and from a uh, NFR per se. But what you need to understand is that from a customer experience per se, customer, what is CRM end of the day? End of the day, CRM would lead into driving the customer experience and ensuring that how you are able to ensure a predictable customer experience uh, across your set of customers, right? Mm. So now the question would be that, what are your fundamental ask on customer experience, right? And what is that you want to build with that customer experience? List that down, right? And mm-hmm. it's important to just keep keep making it sharper, clearer, saying that, look, you want to ensure, for example, you want to ensure that 95% of our uh, requests happen with an NPS of 90, yeah? See. Hmm. and let's say the tat of closing is is less than 24 hours right and then you start making that sharper etc because this Mm -hmm. is exactly what we are looking at to build from a customer experience standpoint now the moment you do that you know very clearly that if you are looking at from an output standpoint these are my key output metrics that I'm going to chase right what are the features and what are the ways and means of, of getting there and that makes that's another way of now the next level which is where now you start saying that look Tell me the features, tell me the functionalities, which help me build this workflow, which helps me then arrive to NPS of 95%. Tell me the features, functionalities, the workflows, and of course, the adoption, depending on the UI, UX, interfaces, etc. To tell me how do I reach to a tad of less than 24 hours. Mm. Now, again, I'm giving some broad metrics, but the idea is to arrive to a framework where you are able to say that from an output standpoint, from a business output standpoint, if customer experience is your... Is your key forte against which you are evaluating a CRM? Hmm. Then how are you arriving to the features functionalities which will give you the right KPIs? Now that you talk about a fairly comprehensively laid out uh, end
0: state and then working backwards from there. My trouble typically with this kind of scenarios is uh, how do you deal with agility in this kind of context? Because you will end up discovering a year from now that okay, what you set out a year ago was this much, now we need this much more. So when you're doing this comprehensive one-time initial end state exercise, how do you Keep room for flexibility and agility. No,
1: absolutely. It's a very good point as well. I think the way to look at this would be you know, always to evaluate, say that, look, I took a CRM, right? So end of the day, look at the overall scheme of things from a uh, from a completeness per se, right? And and where exactly this thing is fitting because CRM mm. is just going to be a single sure. bit. And I know we are talking CRM, but it's not relevant. Not so to so s- you can pick up any or, other yeah. category, same thing. But the idea is that CRM is such a, uh, CRM or any other Sounds platform like is a such central a thing. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> central thing. So, okay, now with CRM, and again, this is a little digressing towards a more of a architecture kind of a discussion. But it's very, very relevant because that architecture decision will actually going to decide the agility of your business down the line. Now, of course, with CRM, there will be some delta that you would need to keep updating and then improvising, right? So, is your CRM flexible enough of, number one, giving you that control and that agility to incrementally, uh, you know, keep giving you the features, etc.? And there could be multiple ways. One way to say that for most of these developer-friendly platform on CRM, they will give you an enterprise platform and they will also give you an agility to say that, look, you can always increment these codes, write your own piece of code on top mm-hmm. of this, right? And you can mm-hmm. keep improvising that. Now, that is one way of that. So if you have that and if you've if you vetted that particular proposition, that is good. But I, I would always say that if if that is what you're looking at, please do vet. Don't just come back with a theoretical point of view saying that, look, Ye ho gaya ji. Ye ho aise. No, mm-hmm. not, not ho aise. If that is the Hogyaga let, let me just quickly vet what exactly this means. The other way to look at from an agility standpoint is that in your overall scheme of things, are your are your internal or external applications or your complete stack tied up directly to your CRM? Mm-hmm. So I can still use a CRM, but I can still use it in a more decoupled way. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Which essentially means that my systems are going to talk to my internal systems going to be a middleware or your MDM or, or something mm. equivalent right but i'm at the back of it i'm using a crm so tomorrow if i want to let's say change that by any ways and means everything else is agnostic of course i need sure. to ensure that the the quantum of what that crm was providing to the middleware etc that integration layer is sorted and, and there's a backward compatibility mm. there but then I know very clearly that my systems are not directly integrated. So the first and very most thing that we're trying to do here in our scheme of things is say that look from a control and agility standpoint, it's going to be the middleware who drives and connects everything. It can't be that you have a direct stitching between independent systems. It can't be. It has to be even if they are simple, even if they are just, let's say, uh, uh, two microservices, three microservices, they still have to route through the rightful middleware. It could be a proxy pass even again, getting more technical. it You're could be doing a proxy this
0: as an upfront heavy lifting exercise to be more
1: flexible in future. correct. The, again I said the architecture and the and the platform level capability arise because of that absolutely. yeah. If, fact, if I say I mean, that if I'm if I'm building a platform, my platform core capability is saying that my architecture is built in a way that tomorrow if I want to add or update any new microservices, it's only relevant to that particular uh, integration, not sure. anything else.
0: So, you know, one of the things we've learned across previous conversations is the choice between a monolithic stack versus an assembled stack because larger comprehensive software vendors which have had supposedly integrated solutions are not necessarily the best at everything they do. They're great at some of these things and now what we've seen people make the choice and we've had this in previous conversations is they end up assembling okay this is good for this, this is good for this, this is good for this. What you seem to be doing is one more level above that okay this is good for this but I'm not going to let this talk to everything else directly. I will put my layer in between so that tomorrow to replace this, this is not going to disrupt anything for me.
1: Correct, correct. No, I think I'm, I'm doing it just to extend that. I'm, yeah. I'm even doing it double clicking both of them. Hmm. So from an overall architecture standpoint, from a high level integration standpoint ensuring that look the middleware and the corresponding integrations are driven through that, right? That's one. Number two, I'm not also very, very enthused about getting each of these systems separately, right? And, and that's mm. the choice I always try to make. Mm. And, and, you know, as you said, right, I would love to have the heavy lifting done today for sure. each of those systems. So, for example, let's say, if I am looking at a, at a marketing automation platform, uh, and I would typically know that my marketing automation requirement are these right now but for three to five years depending the business progression of course business will progress what are the next five six seven eight things that I will be requiring Mm. and for that to happen for example a a very simple thing for example let's say if is my marketing automation platform providing me the right clickstream data Mm. which I can then leverage in my big data platform and start making more scientific models to engage customer personalize all of that Mm. right and this capability, I may not require from, let's say, another six months per se, which is fine. But then, of course, I require that. So, my question always has been about, number one, even if you're choosing a certain set of platform, uh, question what exactly it provides and question the 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 extension of that from next one to three years per se, if not hmm. more. I think one to three years has been a sweet spot. I would sure. say in today's world, one to two years is becoming a sweet spot because things are changing so fast. Yeah. Uh, so, that's one. Number two, I think from an overall transformation standpoint, leaders have to be very, very conscious of the number of uh, number of platforms or number of third-party integrations Mm. uh, you are doing. If there are just too many, uh, you may like to take uh, a stab to that as well. Uh, Because down the line, while it is, it looks very uh, sexy to say that, look, I've got a great middleware and everything else is just beyond that, all of that. But the fact remains when rubber hits a road, your team is getting sucked up in in solving for these third-party one, third-party two, third-party three, third-party four, because whenever hits the road, it's not going to be your ideal workflow that you've built, right? Whenever hits the road, you actually start seeing, you know, what, what things you miss, what are the new nuances, what are the new business use cases, the agility, the flexibility, all the whims and fancy you promise your business stakeholders in the initial Mm -hmm. days, right? So you've got to be very cautious and clear and sharp about getting the right full platform. And try to see if you can consolidate most of that. Hmm. Try to see if you're not able to overly, you know, get everything as you want.
0: Yeah. So, which is where it gets complicated and interesting at the same time. That Where do you draw the line on uh, how many is too many in terms of the number of uh, different tools that you bring together? And in some sense, if you consolidate too much, then you're also compromising in some sense. So, where do you see that appropriate balance? I'm sure this is subjective
1: and business context-driven, but in your case, if you have addressed this, how have you looked at this? So, if I just take a step back, and i look at my day to day operations right and i and i and the and the easiest way to do is is to just scan my emails over last 30 days or, or 90 days and see through just club them into various different categories saying so, that look where exactly am i getting the largest uh, discussion happening now if i would be uh, and let me let me say that if i found those those scans right so i would say let's say operational abc operational is one bit XYZ e-commerce is another bit. Uh, And then ABC chain management is another bit. Yeah. So. If you are able to clearly understand and and foresee that your larger chunks from an operational standpoint would be this bit, which is, let's say, for example, your service operations are going to be the most dynamic one and which is where you would need a lot of agility, a lot of control, a lot of dynamism, because while you are solving for that right now, you know very clearly that this is going to evolve and this is going to be direct consumer facing. So the amount of uh, dynamics it will have will also be paramount versus something like let's say a, a financial controlled workflow, yeah, mm-hmm. which once built would remain uh, largely stable, largely stable and and uniform hopefully mm-hmm. uh, over next six months or year or so. So if that is what you have found, then the idea should be that now this is the platform. Which is where this particular business use case or a workflow is getting served. Now, what is the agility there? Do I have a complete control there? Mm. Am I working with one partner, or is it my in-house, or I'm working with three, four, five partners? Mm. Now, the moment if you tell me that it is more than one, if that service operation bit is critical to me, and I'm I have to work with more than one partner, now that would be uh, that would be a uh, red flag. So red flag sort of thing Mm. and and then I'll start challenging that while you may be solving that for the interim Mm. are you going to stick to that Mm. and and, uh, going to persist the way forward Mm. so the way to look at that if the dynamic and agility is there try to consolidate get all of that into one the score versus non core the right framework to look score at core versus non core you have to define your core see the, the important thing is Angkor, that these core and non core also changes right because That's you, what I was about in to a wonder. transformation journey my mm-hmm. core right now is something but let's another 6 months 9 months i got something done dusted etc now immediately shifts shifts to mm-hmm. the non core mm-hmm. but i think the important thing would be that in a transformation kind of a setup it's it's very easy to get caught up into so many cores at a time right so it's also uh, and, and while we talked about the whole architecture and tech evaluation etc there also has to be a business side of things where you say that look let's understand what is our core let's not start solving while we may need to do a lot of things in parallel but at a point in time let's ensure that from a focus standpoint what are one or two key areas we are solving and you solve it really really well hmm. the amount of parallelism and the amount of sequencing etc has to be discussed decided within the team because what we easily forget today is that it's not only the product tech outcome which which legitimizes the transformation. It is the change management. It is the Absolutely. adoption. It is the way to, you know, perceive that way forward on, on using that particular product and taking it through.
0: So if I were to step back and, you know, make a 10,000 feet view on the digital transformation of a consumer-durable platform or company like yours, what could be the independent milestones that you would imagine are fair reflection and, you know, whatever you're able to share about your choices that, okay, this is what I'm calling core right now for the next 12 months and I will solve for this before I even... That's that meaningfully. So I'm, I'm doing a little bit of work there, but I'm not double, triple clicking on these things. I'm prioritizing this because you've been here 10 months. Yeah. You've seen the journey yeah. of the company in a certain fashion. What would it be those, you know, end state of course is nirvana, but then intermittently there are milestones. How do you articulate those for uh, your industry?
1: Look at from a company standpoint. Now, of course, we are selling our products. The consumers are, uh, consumer requires servicing and all that which engages the complete life cycle of that particular product how can I solve for the customer experience first? And that's mm-hmm. the first and paramount one, right? And okay. from a transformation standpoint, if I'm able to kind of provide a predictable experience to my customers, both from a buy journey per se and from a service lifecycle per se, uh, specifically the service one, right? So I think if I'm able to solve for the customer experience post facto, while also enabling the right rightful buying journey, etc. I think that to me is going to be the most uh, most critical and most immediate first thing to solve for. Yeah. First thing to solve for, and and hopefully we should be able to solve for in next couple of months. Sure. But I think that's that's to me is, is paramount that customer experience. Just help focus on customer experience, get that right, ensure that we are able to deliver best in class customer service experience. Uh, larger part of that lifecycle happens on the app or web, uh, and larger part of that engagement also shifts to digital. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's that's going to be the the first, the first and, so and paramount one. I think uh, from there on, I think once we've got, and uh, to me, that's that's hygiene, that's basic, right? In today's world, it's also the hardest part in some sense, right? It is the hardest part. I agree. I agree. I, I think the amount of core, you know, demanding scheme of things. If you need to, you know, if you look at top twenty, top thirty most demanding things which uh, a transformation leader has to go through, I think some of these things would be at the the top five, right? So, which which is demanding both in terms of the quality of execution, the, the solutioning aspect, the whole tech part, the business alignment, the change management around it, etc. So, it's, it's, it's very, very uh, core to any of these uh, transformations. So, it's important to kind of get that right in totality and not just solve for the tech solutioning bit or a product solutioning bit. Hmm. So, I think if, if we're able to solve for the customer experience bit, and I think that to me is going to be uh, the paramount one, what essentially it also gives you a, a flexibility into driving your multiple executions is that if you're solving customer experience you're solving the digital product uh, solutioning part you're also solving the data part yeah so essentially it means that you are internally aligning towards creating the right digital data platform also Mm. in play because none of your if you want to have a very very predictable customer experience it has to be backed with data right sure and and that data should be able to speak for itself and if you are able to then capture all of that data at a very high quality at a at a big data level with the largest or, or dynamic computation level, all of the whims and fancy of what a, a big data platform engineer or a Hadoop engineer in our days would look like. Uh, yeah. So how are you able to create that level of uh, data centricity while you're building all of this? I think customer experience would be just one broader bucket but when you're solving it you're solving the additional products like you're solving the data bullet points
0: within that as well yeah you, you have to actually solve all of that now you seem to have made the customer experience bit itself into a comprehensive
1: problem statement which Correct. might be a multi year project by itself yeah so within that how do you now prioritize no oh, absolutely and that's where this that is exactly where you uh, and it, it's famous in my company the v0s and v1 <laughs> hmm. uh, the business folks talk to me in terms of v0 and v1 uh, jokingly for sure The idea is that for all of these core components, the moment you have identified these core components, you have to define the first set of versions in each of them. So, for example, version zero customer experience comes with an NPS of, let's say, 85 percent. Now, this 85 percent, what are the five, six, seven key components which are enablers for this? Mm -hmm. Right. And you need to then solve for each of these enablers for this V0 to happen. That would be data. And again, data, I'm just just using generically as a a platform, Mm -hmm. but then There'll be specific asks saying that look, I would need this particular data to enable this particular feature. Yeah, so you solve for that data part. You solve for the customer uh, customer engagement part, where you would know that very clearly that these are the X level of engagement that this customer has done, and basis that this is the intervention the system is is providing. Right? Then similarly, if there is a workflow which demands, let's say, a field force. Which, which then needs to be present at customer's place for servicing, etc. You then need to solve for that scheduling and you need to solve for that particular... What I'm consciously getting worried
0: about is the sequencing versus parallelization side of things. Correct. Because ultimately, you will have an X size of team and a ex- kind of business impact to be created because digital transformation also operates with a CEO guideline where you would have to show ROI at some point. So later. Like, how do you reconcile uh, that business expectation with the tech limitation that you will operate under, right? mean even if you have a thousand people tech team, you'll always have enough and more for them to do. Correct. So within the scheme of things on customer-centric interventions, within the scheme of things of uh, customer-facing things, plus the back-end component that will support, right? a sales and service ops system is almost critical to customer experience because it's a Correct. dominant part of the play. How do you
1: then prioritize, sequence, solve and not get overwhelmed because Correct. it's so much? No, absolutely. And I think that's where, uh, when, I, when I talked about the business alignment part, and I think that, again, as you drive and build the rightful digital platform architecture mm-hmm. and, and all of that there is a parallel and and to me again a more prioritized part which is aligning the business and creating that creating that v0 v1 etc to say that look this is the this is exactly what we are solving so for example let's say if i'm solving for customer experience mm-hmm. now customer experience and we will do multiple of these discussions right so what you need to facilitate yourself with and also align the rightful business leaders uh, and the ceos as well to just come together in different forums and discuss debrief and do some sort of a brainstorming comma workshop level integration a full day workshop integrations uh, discussions etc Where you discuss about all of this in totality saying that look this is exactly what we are looking at these are one this two is what three four. Would mean? this would this would mean this would mean anything so for it example let's say yeah so first we define the journey what does a journey mean journey hmm. means abc journey means by Customer journey. Customer journey. So, mm-hmm. right. So, customer journey would mean buying a particular product or servicing a particular product or let's say renewing a particular AMC or something of that sort. Then you go deeper into each of them saying that, look, mm-hmm. what exactly does that mean? Sure. Double click each of that and then define the specific of those journeys. Mm-hmm. Once you've got all of that, you will arrive into making some choices as well. Saying that, look, now if I want to have an NPS of ABC, I need to now, I need to ensure that customer only clicks a button and it is done. Sure. Versus right now, it is three clicks or four clicks or five clicks, right? So now that's where the decisioning is. So when you are discussing all of that in totality, there will be at various junctures where you are deciding and, and also aligning the business saying that, look, this mm-hmm. is what, given that this is the outcome or output metric I was aligned and we are all aligned towards, these are the decisions which I am taking. So when you do a couple of these multiple exercise, you can call it as a brainstorming, workshops, whatever it is. But once you're end to it, you come back with a very sharper closure on saying that look, this is the scope items that we are defining between V zero. I mean, V zero is just a number. No sure. Between V zero. Hmm. Now, V zero as per our understanding, etc. These are five, six, seven, eight decision point we are taken. These are three, four open points. But to whatever we can understand right now, given the team structure, etc. We are going to do all of this into six sprints seven sprint, eight sprints, and this is the ETA in awesome. which. We'll get to that. So you know come from a make my trip kind of context which is digital native right? yeah. so you talk
0: in terms of sprints and uh, yeah. agile methodology every 2 week releases or something of that sort so typically when you define a version you call it v0 i'm taking that as a name but what is the typical release cycle to that okay x number of engineers will work on 20 or 30 or 40 different things for a certain amount of time and by this time this would be released right. typically you're talking what a quarter language or 6 month language what is the language you talking
1: yeah no you're right i, I think 6 sprints th- you said th- there is a, yeah there is so just just a step back so mm-hmm. when I when I was there in this IT setup and this is also a, a very a very good learning. I actually, in fact, I haven't worked with any organization which was not working with a sprint kind of a setup mm-hmm. earlier. So this was a
0: a, a new. Wait, did you bring this to your Forbes or was this already there in some form?
1: No, it was it, it wasn't there. So what mm-hmm. when I when I went in, I just understood the processes and the way it, right. it all works. And sometimes I realize that it's a monthly ones or two monthly ones or three monthly ones releases, etc. And and people are just waiting with that nirvana date when something big will happen and all of mm-hmm. that will happen. Yeah. So of course there was a change management bit where I got uh, the team aligned and and we got Jira and the sprint process etc. and it worked for a for a reasonable amount of time. Now people are comfortable they understand sure. etc.
0: Which is to me the people side of change management, which is yeah. like a big step by itself, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I would still not say that we are still there. I, I yeah. still we're still very very primitive kind of a setup. Mm-hmm. But at least see the see the way to look at the adoption is at least are people able to understand what a sprint means? Mm. Are, able to, are people able to say that what, what a V0 or a V1 or V V1 dash means? Like, <laughs> sure. So are they aligned to that level of nomenclature at least in the initial days? Yeah. To, to your point, specifically how do you then define your uh, execution? I think the definition of that is you'll take some bigger milestones. So what will happen in a transformational kind of a setup is that your first of your releases would be bigger milestones. So that would mean that effectively you may not be able to show some progress maybe in a two weeks or a four week kind of a thing if if let's say most of that that is a, a build journey so in the build journey you may take a, a good three month or a two and a half month i would say don't go beyond three months mm. uh, if possible try to keep that as a two two and a half month because that's that's more practical that's in chances of slippage as as well as it's just confined into another one or two week kind of thing mm. versus taking a three month six months kind of a thing which is a slightly more riskier way to kind of get executed but I would leave it to the leaders to define that to me the sweet spot is somewhere between two two and a half month so you make a big release in a two two and a half month kind of a setup and then from there on define your sprints in a way that incrementally you are doing something else so for example the moment you have the first two two and a half month thing coming uh, the initial couple of weeks will be a little ad hoc uh, sure. Because you'll start seeing some traction. You'll start yeah. seeing some slippages, leakages, etc. etc. You'll try to immediately fix all of those. Hopefully, the quality would be fine. So, you'll not be over yeah. over uh, bugged with that. So, another week, two weeks, you do some uh, patches, fixes to, to get that stable and align that. And then you get into a standard process of a two-weekly kind of a delivery. Okay. Uh, and then you start seeing some progress. Now, again, there will be a choice for you to make. Now, the choice would be that... You've defined V0 as, a, as decently done. Now, the choice for you is that your backlog is huge. Yeah. Now, you have a choice again saying that, look, should I again go into this two, two and a half month kind of a thing and start building uh, something on that sort of that more sensible or meaningful? Uh, or I start doing just the two weekly kind of a thing? Uh, I don't have a clear answer to that. But I think from a guideline standpoint, here is what I would recommend. I think from an internal team per se, important to see some progress every now and then. So, internally, you still start rolling out something every two weeks, right? And so that, a
0: very people thing, right? Because engineers want to be releasing.
1: Yeah. And then you should see, end of the day, I am a very, very strong believer of uh, a developer-led kind of a development, right? And sure. developers should be empowered and they should see because that's, I mean, he's the person. Yeah. So, so even in today, uh, in, in our kind of a legacy setup, the the most knowledge or the most comprehensive knowledge of the systems people have are the engineers who have got all of these third parties aligned and they're working with them. Nobody else in the organization has that amount of quantum of knowledge of what these workflows are, how they're working, where exactly the data is, what exactly are the audience, all of that. So I think in any of these setups, the most and most important part is to empower the development team or the team behind that particular transformation. And to me, that, again, if if you have to stack rank everything, I think this again would be somewhere between one and three. yeah, I think getting the management aligned and driving that, and then parallelly having the rightful team and team to drive that transformation would be an, an equal part and and not not second to any.
0: So Shubham, uh, you made a transformation transition rather from a digital native kind of plate, make my trip and then B ST digital streams, and then now at a legacy organization. From a, just the DNA of a tech savvy versus a legacy organization, there's a big change, right? And the people side of things can sometimes become a, the first thing to solve for. Yeah, right. So the fact that they brought you in automatically meant that they have a certain level of confidence and commitment to the topic. How did you then go about solving the people side of things and the culture, the people bringing in new talent? How is that journey?
1: No, very good question. I think I think this also um, something is a, a as a continuous learning. Um, I'm dealing with and then trying to make the best out of it but i'll just break it down into two parts Uh, so one is that there's an existing team who's who's a quantum of knowledge and and, Mm. uh, so first you have to have the right level of interaction with them to ensure that they are completely committed and aligned to the cause right so i think what happens most of the time is that as a new leader when you enter you kind of you are actually right i mean you are a threat to to all of those people saying that yeah what he's going to tell me, yeah. we are here for like 25-30 years. He is coming and giving us some gyan, this, that. And which uh, to all rightfulness uh, is correct. Uh, I don't know any any part of that, right? I mean, sure. these guys are there running the show yeah. and all of it. So, I think the first and foremost thing would be that how do you first get that level of trust and enablement with the team going so that they are, they are, they feel comforted, they are mm-hmm. aligned to the cause and they also understand the bigger picture. The important mm-hmm. thing that I have done at multiple in my initial multiple uh, weeks and town halls and then the one-on-one discussions that I have with the team, is to say that, look, this is exactly what we are alluding towards. This is what exactly we want to want and why, right? And and of course, then start taking them along, saying that now tell me, wh- if this is the problem statement, what exactly will be your way to solve for it, right? So hear from them and, and align them in terms of the solution that they are proposing. And most of the time, when you, when you get things right, when you tell them the rightful details on, what sort of problem, why the solution would not have this level of capability down the line immediately, et cetera, et cetera. They start understanding your perspective. And and then over a period, they will start resembling more towards your goal, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now, all of that is not going to happen in a transaction for sure. So, you will have the initial level of resistance and challenges Mm -hmm. and, and, and whatnot, right? I mean, end of the day, all of us are people, we have emotions, we have the right way to we have ways and means of dealing with the situation, right? Yeah. End of the day, the second part, which is the most interesting and most uh, complex part, is the hiring part. Now, hiring again, I have the liberty of hiring multiple pupil mm-hmm. leaders, etc. Uh, and I and I think I've been hiring for the last six, seven months now, uh, across roles. I'm I'm finding the engineering leads, I'm finding the product leads, I'm finding the data engineers, automation, all of that, and of course, IT person, etc. As well. Uh, I'm able to hire six people by now. Yeah? Just six. Yes. Yeah. How many do you look out? I, I think I would have interviewed somewhere around if I'm not wrong, I, I think I would have interviewed somewhere around 350, 400 people. So your funnel is very sharp.
0: And how yeah. many positions do you have to start with?
1: I started with somewhere around uh, I think we had a lot of positions initially open, but I just sure. kind of when I looked at it, I said, boss Hogani. Hmm. So let's look at a sharper set of 10, 12, 15 people hmm. and, and just get them aligned first. So I was trying to build the leaders, at least uh, leaders who are at a hands-on level, leaders sure. who are not uh, coming at a... Uh, right, you, you get what I'm saying, yeah, right? Yeah, so sure. <laughs> uh, so I, I want leaders who are at a hands-on level who are able to, you know, roll up the sleeve, get this stuff and, and get yeah. that going. Uh, so I was able to hire a very, very less... And, and that was also a choice. I wanted to have a very lean, sharp team just to be... So that I can work them at an individual level and also show them the impact,
0: mm-hmm. right? So
1: if you as an individual comes and start driving one part of the greenfield project and this is also I'm going to talk about how it helps mm. me to mm. hire people uh, with that level of uh, that level of alignment of what they want to do in terms of working on a maintenance kind of project versus the greenfield project mm. uh, so if you give somebody a, a project which is more greenfield building grounds up building in a uh, building a vision that it can align and give it let's say x uh, x million customers uh, visibility over let's say one two three years I think these are a couple of sharper things that um, some of these leaders aligned and, and, and that's where they were able to um, we were able to hire and of course they're doing great so in totality from a digital team hiring per se I think my learning was you can't just hire anyone uh, you just can't hire people from Amazon Flipkart or I'm not saying that I'm, I mean it's difficult to hire but you just not able to hire just like another company right and of course these are best of the talents and best of the talent in the world now right not just india so there are going to be two three ways in which you can uh, you know do that i think when i do my discussions of course i do the shortlisting and all of that uh and given that the first round the second round and the last round all was my round right so there was no one literally to kind of uh do those rounds right so and I found what I what I found initially is that the very first deck or very first presentation that I created was the presentation I created for my folks who I'm going to hire. So when I, I used to do the interviews, I, I have to first take them along, saying that look for thirty minutes, twenty to thirty minutes. I, I know I'm, I would have bored them like hell, but uh, for twenty to thirty minutes, I used to just give them the the larger picture. Hmm. Because company is a company. Man, Digital company hai, right. And there's no second ways about it. I also equally think that not digital. I can't just because I'm hiring you. I can't say that it's a digital company. This not a Right. So now. But this is what we have to offer. This is what we're going to build. Here tech a text tag. problem statement. here will remain outcome. outcome. And then talk them through the specifics of that. So I think the rudimentary way of hiring was all saying, define the 9 to 12, 15, 18, this, that. Uh, but now when i look at what i would have started with a 12 to 18 year is now shifted to 4 to maybe a 6 to 7 years yeah because i'm able to get that talent i'm able to get yeah. that person I'm, and he's equally aligned so a person who comes and works with me directly or or let's say leads one of these products and has a 4 to 5 or 6 year experience look at the kind of exposure he gets and that, of course he'll be accountable he'll be having the rightful skill as well we'll do that competency level test but as an individual he also gets such a such a massive exposure uh, and and it drives all of that greenfield uh, project. So I think just to summarize mm-hmm. on the digital hiring part, I think we have to break the standard rudimentary ways of hiring. You have to look out for for bright chaps. Forget the experience to to a uh, to a reasonable extent. I know we are still a corporate, so we still have to you know have that level of uh, zigzag with the HR saying that boss, ye uh, so. But but we'll, we'll be able to solve for it. But I think. My broader summary would be that break some break some predefined notions, get the rightful pupil. You have now these new hires which are probably
0: five years mature and then you have those people who have been around for like a long time. How does this team
1: now gel together into a single cohesive force? See, I, th- I think the couple of things that you need to intervene and create a structure around. I think the first and foremost is to some sort of a formal town hall, a monthly one, mm. uh, where you get everybody together. Yeah. So, we have an office in Gurgaon, we have an office uh, in, in Mumbai and the two teams are sitting there. And now we have an office there in Bangalore as well. So, uh, how do you get all of these team together to kind of create a, a way where they are able to speak for themselves, whatever they have done in terms of uh, the projects they are driving, the problems they are solving, how they are aligning, what are the challenges, etc. So, give them a common platform to connect and, and kind of showcase their uh, their stuff. Yeah. And that's on a monthly basis. But I'm a fan of power of now. So one of the power of now uh, variant on a day-to-day basis is doing the digital DSMs, right? So doing the daily stand-up meetings mm-hmm. at a rigor. So all of my leads, uh, and I try to make them in you know, a group between an IT and a new hires, etc. We we do a daily sync up every single day, 30 minutes, etc. I think we do it to a reasonable probability. And then, of course, we have our weekly sync up. So today evening, uh, I have a weekly sync up where we get together and we talk about what's working well and all of that Right, standard format. So I think that from a communication standpoint, how do you create that daily, weekly, monthly rigor to get them all put together, etc. I think hiring people uh, in, in today's world, hiring is going to be a challenge, Ankur. And I mm. think uh, you've got to be very, very meticulous when you are when hiring uh, Define the sharper standards on whom to hire, why to hire, etc. Try to hire the best. Uh, and most of the time, those best will be better than you. And be very, very comfortable. You should want that. There should not be any insecurities. Actually, good. Look, the fresh guys who are coming like five, six, seven, eight years, knowing so much, with such amount of passion, energy. Even if I'm able to imitate their energy, I'm, I'm done with, right? I mean, if I will just take a 20% of their energy and able to do my stuff, uh, I'm done with. And that, that to me is, is, is the best part of you know, hiring and, and managing people. So yeah, so uh, hiring is not going to be easy. Just to just to summarize, I think hiring is not going to be easy. Uh, again, as I said, I think I took three fifty, four hundred odd interviews to get to my five six people. But I was very clear, saying that I need this thing. And I know I was getting bashed within the organization, saying that we just don't have people. You you so uh, you came to me and you asked for for these offers, approvals, etc. But you're not able to hire now, which I'm okay with. I'm comfortable with. But I don't want to make a uh, make a compromise. Uh, so, you know, at the larger
0: level, when you're looking at digital transformation, there's a bunch of capabilities to be built across multiple vertical functions, so to speak. How do you own design um, from a, let's say, leader's perspective that, okay, these are the five or six or you know four major capabilities we must bring together to do an effective time-bound goal at digital transformation?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a good question. Uh, see, effectively, if you break this, the whole uh, gamut of... Uh, digital products from a consumer-durable company standpoint, you would realize that there's a consumer-facing aspect, then there's a back-end sales and service aspect. In between, there's a lot of internal processes set up, etc., uh, on ERP and, and CRMs and all of that. And then, of course, there is a data bit. So I would I would break it down into four different uh, verticals. One on the, the consumer-facing, the other one on the, uh, the back-end sales uh, field force or, or likewise the data bit, and fourth being the internal bit, which is around... How do you get the overall SAP, ERP and all of those sorted, etc. Mm. So, uh, we talked a lot about the consumer experience. So that, uh, by and ways is covered. We would also talked about data. But I think on the sales and service side or, or the overall back-end field operation per se, you would also need somebody to kind of own it from a business standpoint mm. and which is where you need to have a partnership uh, with, a, with the rightful CEOs on the, on the sales side, service side or let's say a chief operating officer. Yeah? So, a structure where you are able to at least connect with one person to say that, look, this is the business person who would own from a requirement and from an overall ask per se, one person to, to connect and work with, to say that, look, he's the one who signs off on what he requires on mm. what the overall mm. sales service or the field force would look like. And then work backward from the team to say that, how do you now create a structure to align to this particular individual? An important thing is that, again, it's going to be very, very... Uh, this particular transformation specifically on the field force side and, and equivalent is very different from a consumer side, right? Because here, while consumer, of course, are, are next generation and they are largely adopted in the, the e-commerce world, et cetera. How do you get the same level of adoption? How do you get the same level of workflow automation, et cetera, done at the field force side, where mm-hmm. you'll have a gamut of audience to capture right? Right from a equivalent of a gig worker to somebody senior managing, let's say, 100 200 odd people, right? So. With that amount of uh, uh, with that amount of length and breadth of your consumers how do you ensure that you' what sort of interface you're building what sort of workflows you are building so the nuances there from a product standpoint while it does not get talked a lot because it's not that sexy <laughs> so but but if you ask me that amount the the real product experience that you build through the right UI UX interfaces the the way to you know ensure adoption the way to ensure, uh, a limited number of clicks to drive that, and, and all of those that basic, basic hygiene product, uh, which requires very, very micro level detailing. I think that needs to be very, very closely worked with this business person, this CEO equivalent, mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. likewise, so that the team in totality works not just from a tech product standpoint, but very clearly understand the audience. For example, right now what we are what we doing is is to actually identify that particular individual, create that cohort, create that audience to say that look, this is the repo of my audience this is exactly what he what she does or what he does and and just articulate that into very specific uh, workflow to kind of automate hmm. and then you would have let's say a similar 5-10 different workflows to validate but for each of them you would have done a very very grounds up uh, collaboration hmm. working with those people taking their feedback asking them to use the app what exactly they are using how exactly they will use etc and then create the right digital journeys to enable that
0: and within this framework, given that consumer-durable is a broad space, your is, of course, a large leading player, but then this is a likely problem statement across multiple companies. And I would be surprised if nobody has really sassified some of these solutions. Because if this is the same by-and-large ask, with, of course, its share of configuration and uh, customizations, that has to be. Then again, the
1: build versus by question would come together, right? Yeah. No, no, I, we, we did that. And we did it mul- with multiple enterprise platform, etc. Yeah. Uh, and I think I still went ahead and, and did the build journey. Not yeah. that it, it sounds uh, this thing. But I think what I figured out with, with all of these platform and of course, as a forward-looking thing, I think there will be a lot of uh, scope on how things would improvise from here on. Mm. Uh, well, I've not shared the specifics now. But what I think very, very strongly is that there are going to be a fundamental change management or fundamental interventions, innovations happening on all of these core platforms that I talked about. That's number one, and that's going to be defining and determining our, our mm. growth progress. Now, with with something with which we strategically think so very important and and so very defining, it's important to have the rightful controls and agility there. Uh, good, bad, ugly. Uh, no, no. Uh, not discounting any of the good work these SaaS companies would have done, and they've they've done wonderful. And, and that's what. Larger part of those are India's SaaS companies. Right. Uh, but. Um, I think in the in the rightful spirit of saying that, look, we will be able to be the best one in in these specific areas, and we will be improvising or would would ask for our uh, needs very very quickly the moment we have the basics in play. I was very confident that uh, the only and the not the only, but maybe the best way to you know, put our foot forward is is the in-house way or the mm. the self way. Now there is another thing which is validated that. Uh, what has also validated is that we also have used a couple of these third parties which we're all anyways are using mm. and they have been painful. They've been painful because of various reasons, right? Because sure. we chose those platforms 10 years, 20 years back. We chose it for a certain set of specific tactical requirement, etc. So we just kind of spread out yeah. into multiple things. Not to say that we not have done better there. But uh, I, I think uh, I think the spirit of driving the larger ask from the digital platforms, I think mm. having that control, having that agility, having that power of making a day-level progress or an hourly progress that way uh, would have been uh, would have been a fundamental. So, we stick to...
0: So, in some sense, this stuff is too cool for you to be left to a third-party yeah. software yeah. vendor in yeah. some sense. Yeah. yeah. To an extent. Fair enough. Yeah. So, there is, uh, you know, clearly some choices made within the buy side of things. It's not like you're not using any external software, but some of them are clear that, okay, this is my home run and this is... Too core for me to be left out on any dependency, and hence I would build this in-house. Clearly, the people side of things is an overarching theme of how you manage digital transformations in terms of hiring, in terms of aligning stakeholders, in terms of bringing the whole team together formally and informally via rigorous processes, as well as uh, the informal side of things, right? You know, uh, this also leads now into the whole interplay between technology and product teams versus the guys who are typically supposed to run customer data platforms, consumer experience uh, touchpoints across marketing touchpoints. Now, we've seen multiple kinds of org structures in which the ownership of these things in terms of implementation, in terms of operational handling, in terms of KPIs and outcomes can be structured differently. So, Shubham, in your case, how are you looking at this whole game of uh, technology from a marketing lens and uh, the support ecosystem that's
1: being built around it from a people perspective? Just just a step back to that before we go into the setup and the structure to operate uh, some of these things. I think the first and foremost thing is to, as any digital leader, what, what you should be doing is to first understand from a capability standpoint, if you have the right platforms or not, right? Sure. That's number one. And number two, with those platform in play, are you getting the right data attributes, data points, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, different, uh, at different consumer journeys and also, which is both online, offline in our case, right? So how do you get that basics right first so that whenever you have a platform in play, you have the the basics in play where you are able to get the feature set from a uh, engagement, retention, campaign, all of those, right? Just, just a standard feature set of campaign automation which works on, on tandem with the uh, with the quality of data and the quantum of data. So you, you have to first get that basics right. And to me, that took a couple of months just mm-hmm. just to getting, just to arrive to that because of sure. the quantum of data we had and a new platform coming, a completely new team which has zero clue about how all of these setups etc. Sure. one. And they were operating all of these into existing campaigns. All of those were operating mm-hmm. into different silos, etc. And some legacy uh, software. And not honestly make that as a, a tactical thing. So once that happens, now we have got a, the capable software, capable mm-hmm. platform to be in play. And that is where we start engaging a lot of our... Um, so what we started doing was to start shifting. Once we got the platform, once you got the data-enabled platform, etc. And, and of course, enabled those features, etc. as well then we got our teams trained onto those and those teams mm. were marketing team our product team engineering team of course were a little familiar we just sure. went through a formal process of multiple round of training etc in person training etc just to leverage and understand that platform mm. and tool and which is where the moment we had that and and everybody was aligned at least in terms of the capability of the platform we now started shifting story all the existing workflows one by one onto the new platform Hmm. So now again, this is happening very structured with the idea and intent here was that you got the basics in play, you got the team who can now leverage that particular tool trained and now you are making them enable V2, saying that V1, boss, yeah, you start running the V0, V1, v 2s and then they start enabling that. Hmm. Now once you have done that, what you would now realize is that what are the various use cases and basis those use cases, who's the owner, right? Hmm. Because now you have a product team, there's a tech guy, there's a there's a marketing guy, there's also a a business guy who wants to run some operations and sure. some campaigns etc so how do you enable all of these guys to work in totality and and kind of ensure that there's no uh the ball is not falling through the crack right so uh and for that to happen what i realize is that we may need to break this down into two three different uh, buckets hmm. there will be a product journey part right so for example let's say standard stuff right um uh, people who come to your website and, and they are engaged and, they are, and then they are dropping off because of some of the other reason, et cetera. There's some engagement, some lead capture form, et cetera. Then there is abandoned card. Then there mm. is a payment failures. then there are some other stuff, right? So very, very standard, specific points that uh, we need to build the rightful consumer journeys. Now, product guy is the person who's enabled for that because okay. he will own the complete funnel end-to-end at, at various engagement points, mm. at various drop points, at various different uh, other engagement comma drop off point, he should be able to kind of drive the rightful consumer journeys. So, make so number one, what does it take for him to be completely enabled on that? And of course, a product guy will also will come back with this saying, look, these are the hundred different data points I want to make this more sharper clear, mm-hmm. which is also good because he understands now what all data he would need for driving that particular uh, consumer journey. So, enable him, provide and ensure that the engineering guy is prioritizing that and getting mm-hmm. that done. Similarly, work with the marketers to understand that what are the various set of interventions that they want and what are the key KPIs that they are drawing. So let's say they're driving, um, let's say they're driving product sale, they're driving mm-hmm. service sale. Yeah. And there are ways and means of intervening and driving that. So how can they leverage now to build or use this tool to drive their campaigns at different shapes and form? Now, that's very, very basic. That's very standard sure. stuff, right? Now, there would be also more contextual stuff saying that, look, now I want to let's say target or retarget a certain cohort of those right and the cohort definition could be different for a different set of customers sure. right? uh, so how do you make it start making it now more scientific to them saying that look if you want to for example let's say you have a person who has a water purifier uh, which is let's say 10 year old right it's so it's already towards expiry so right and, and he's applicable for a new upgrade etc so can you for this particular pin code or for this particular set of cities can you start targeting them for an exchange Hmm. and then start reaching out and create the rightful campaigns etc so that's that's another scientific and a more next level basic plus plus so to say yeah of use cases now there are other parts to say that look people are coming on your website and they are showing some interest they are submitting some form etc now what happens Because the communication is there they're asking and and sharing details so that they want immediate connect so how do you then immediately connect to let's say a ivr or let's say a call center to immediately address those high propensity customers now how do you define the propensity how do you make it scientific basis that how do you ensure that the 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 calling person now very clearly know that i have to make this happen in the next 30 minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes right and just to ensure the conversion happen so i think taking from a rudimentary sending somebody a an SMS or a WhatsApp versus Mm. making it more scientific and making it more self-attuning and then driving the targeting, retargeting. Because once you have completed, so let's say the call center completes the call, right? And person submits some detail, et cetera. That detail again should come back to the call center, uh, to the marketing automation platform, right? So you have got the rightful, you completed the funnel. Now, you know very clearly that basis, that particular outcome, what is that you are expecting? Are you Mm. expecting uh, another set of, intervention to happen where somebody needs to let's say give provide a demo and and go and and provide that demo at Mm -hmm. that particular date and time or there's another call which is scheduled to drive that can system automatically now follow it up and and drive that particular intervention as well so to make the targeting retargeting complete and and that's where the beauty of these uh, automation platform is that you can now set up the right set of variable and right set of attributes provided you have captured it properly and you've got all your integration done from your data lake to let's say the marketing automation platform your marketing automation platform to your call center and vice versa all of that and again of course going to the data lake etc as well so how do you collectively use all of these integration and solve for each of these um, individual use cases but do it in totality don't just leave it saying that look i've just targeted <laughs> so ensure that you get the data back ensure that retargeting happens and, and the follow-up loop etc all closes but your specific question saying that how do you then divide between a marketing and a, and a product guy? I think product guy is, is fairly by and large simple. Although there will mm. be an overlap, mm. and I don't think that they will always be operating at a at a non-overlap region. There will be a overlap. There will be clashes and it is expected. Sure. Because um, the marketing guy will keep pushing this guy. The product manager saying, "Mera conversion nahi Right, this funnel ye etc. etc. It's the right right set of mm. expectations. Similarly, the product guy would say that the quality of your Let's say the campaigns are not the best, etc. Let's say sure. the marketing guy is, mm. is, is doing a, um, a BTL or a corresponding Google ad or, or other ad, right? And, and if the conversion is not happening, product guy will have the easy find of questioning the quality of uh, lead, etc. Yeah. So I'm saying, but but the, the point being that the moment somebody lands on your funnel, that's the product guy.
0: Now here on,
1: mm. you own this the whole space, make that conversion faster, sharper, etc. But of course, he will need enablers, for example. Let's say, um, if my ticket size is more than 20,000, yeah? average ticket size is 20,000, we're running some campaigns to sell a product, I would need the cashback EMIs, I would need the UPI-led, let's say, uh, EMI options mm-hmm. or something of that. Mm-hmm. So those are very, very basic. Uh, yeah. So product would need enablers to drive that. Product would need, let's say, one-day delivery, one-day installation or something of that sort. So empower the product guy to say that, look, you will own the end-to-end conversion and, and you're the one to drive that. But then of course you will be enabled with these four, five, yeah. six, seven things because the business guy will there is also a business yeah. end of the day all of this yeah. is business right so there's a business guy looking at all of these product and marketing guys to say that right mm-hmm. and this guy can then mm-hmm. go back and say that look enable me with these three, four, five features right and, and that particular thing would happen. Similarly on the campaign and, and the targeting and the retargeting part mm. how do you make the overall marketing guy more empowered with the data where they are able to create the rightful cohort make them more dynamic, make them more self-attuning and then drive the overall bit saying that and even extending to a way, ways and means to say that I have got the rightful cohort. Now with this particular cohort, I know the propensity. I only don't know the propensity. I know the cohort, I know the channel and I know the propensity. So sure. it, it becomes a it becomes a question of which channel you should be using. Some of these channels would yeah. be expensive. WhatsApp would be expensive and it will even become more expensive down the line. So you know very clearly that from an ROI standpoint, you're choosing the propensity basis that particular channel as well and then you can optimize for the channel cost and all of that. But the idea should be that once you've got the data in play, once you've got the rightful computation, micro level qualified quantum data, you should be able to lead into better qualified targeting. And marketing should be empowered to build the rightful uh, campaigns and follow it up with targeting, retargeting across those channels.
0: You know, so what's very interesting, Shubham, is the fact that marketing is generally one of the stakeholders that you deal with because you have so many others who right. are going to be interesting and important for you. Now, the ease with which you said that these are the attributes to capture, this is the empowerment or enablement of the marketing teams to be able to do these kind of things doesn't come so naturally and so easily across a lot of companies we see. And the marketers would either uh, limit their maturity on what kind of ask to make from an attribute standpoint or data model standpoint, or struggle with the technology or product teams to get those in motion. Correct. Right. So, in your case, how do you make sure that this does not, let's say, fall through the cracks because of systematic limitations on how organization is designed?
1: No, you're right. I think, I think this, this is not just a… And I have this learning from ST as well. Mm. And I have seen regular clashes between the product manager and the, uh, and, and, the, and the business guy or the marketing guy, the growth mm. guy who would keep running these campaigns. And the regular uh, complaint that I had is that I don't know how is this running, number one. Number two, I don't even see this running properly. This was supposedly to run with ABC this outcome. It didn't run like this, right? So, I don't know what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And is there a data gap? Is there a ABC platform limitation? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I think... And and those are very genuine asks. No, right? It's a very uh, genuine ask. So, how do you solve for that? And I think one way I, I typically help this getting solved is that both the product guy and I think between product and engineering, somebody has to own that particular uh, the operating part to say mm-hmm. that, look, in a test environment or in a sandbox or a UAT environment, I'll help you enable that particular journey. So Even if it is marketing-led or owned, but if the marketing guy is struggling, we'll of course have the platform support, etc. But we'll also have support from engineering and product mm. to say that, we'll ensure that you, you come out of successfully setting up this particular sandbox properly. And that way, the ownership is joined between product, mm. tech, uh, marketing, as well as the support, platform support. Because we can't let this happen saying that, boss, tumara kaam, tumara kaam, apna apna karo. all of that that beyond a point becomes very painful. So we have to support this guy to say that, look, you've got your basics in play. I have tested it as well. And one smart and good way would be that if you can validate on UAD or a sandbox that you've created this journey and is working well. Mm. So spend two, three, four days on just getting that right. Mm. Saying that I've tested it for a cuG This works well as per my expectation and now I can scale it up. So I think that's that's one way to work. But the second, third way would be to also keep looking at the outcome of those uh, interventions which let's say marketing mm-hmm. is driving and if you are not able to find and there could be a, uh, a a business review that way just to understand on a weekly or a fortnightly basis where exactly what exactly mm-hmm. is happening mm-hmm. so that if you if you found obvious gap you are able to solve for it so I think in my opinion if you are able to kind of ensure that there is a joint accountability till the time uh, the, the use case or a campaign goes live between mm-hmm. product tech and marketing enabling them and ensuring that that campaign is properly live and then as a follow-up, ensure that if there are gaps on data, we get the data. If there are gaps on the platform capability, we, we solve for it. Uh, and, and then of course, follow it up through reviews, etc. to see where, where things are moving. But I think uh, what I've also understood that these processes work well, but there are specific dynamics that will keep coming and you have to keep solving for that on ad hoc. There is no blueprint in which ideal state mein uh, and, and, and there will be overlap, there will be conflict, there will be overlap and you start, keep solving for it. But I think importantly, Ankur, uh, I know you, you have asserting a point there, but I think important would be that over over a period, both these two sets will, will improvise and improve mm. in, in terms of the progress, etc. You know, so, uh,
0: without actually using the word, what you've essentially called it is a growth point. And there's this whole subject of data in terms of capturing it, surfacing it, dashboarding it and decisioning from it. How does that play
1: in your scheme of things? See, data is is, is fundamental, I said. I mean, you, you can have multiple provers, right? Data is oil, data is yeah. jazz, data, democratization, and XYZ. So I'm saying data is very simple. End of the day, the, the fundamental to all of these transformations is baseline is data. You have to, number one, ensure that the quality of the data and the quantum of data is all captured in the system, structured, unstructured, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the foremost point being that the quality of that data which is coming through multiple integration leaking here and there etc has to be nuanced and well understood and, and the capability of ensuring that you're able to ingest all the quantum data with the right structure with the right quality etc that to me is paramount and somewhere mm. what I've seen is that people get more interested in building the platform because there's a it looks so you uh, know and right I mean it's the rightful spirit of building the right tech platform with big data capability etc cetera, etc cetera. but from an outcome standpoint, the, the core lies in ensuring that you're getting the right data, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, let's say your systems are mammoth and they've been legacy, etc. In our case, for example, how do you ensure that you are able to capture each and every single workflow-led data or the clickstream data that way in an, in an offline world and able to capture it properly in a structure mm-hmm. in the rightful uh, unstructured way? Yeah, So that to me is, is paramount. Once you've got that capability in, how do you then leverage ensuring that we have got the data now in play how do we ensure the decisions maker how do you enable the rightful the first and foremost would be to say that now that we've got the data how do you reflect this data into key outcomes which the business users can use and make decisions or drive on a day-to-day basis Hmm. so for me at least uh, and again this was a little more um, on a a software comma uh, rigor side that it actually took me a couple of months to just arrive to a state where the business stakeholders actually start using that particular platform. Because my understanding was that they're already using and and I was given to that because you know what, these guys are the one who are uh, coming back their requirements and giving to the team saying that, look, this is the format I want and Mm -hmm. and all of the Mm -hmm. uh, various BI platform, etc. And they are getting delivered and they're getting done with. But what I really, uh, what I was constantly, of course, seeing in different set of reviews, etc. that they're referring some Excel, etc. in different format, shape (laughs) and form. So, I thought maybe they would have kind of done some dump and would have mm. played with that data etc uh but then uh, when i actually started validating each of that uh, i found that they they found they're still using the old ways of of consuming that data and, and using that because of course that was a more of a habit thing and a more comforting thing so the first starting point for me was to say that now that we've got the data platform now we got that stabilized now that we got that basic ability in play and we are also delivering some of these fundamental Decision-making KPIs, input, mm. output, etc. On, on at, at length and breadth, right? So we just mm. kind of scaled it so that uh, there's no excuse on saying that, look, this data is not available and that's why we're using something else. Sure. Yeah. So ensure and, and drive that in totality to enable the whole data aspect from a business outcome mm. person. Now that to me was the very, very first thing. Hygiene again in today's world, sure, but important to let that happen as a starting point. Yeah. Number two was that now that you've got this data, how do you start making more uh, more sharper sense from a decision making we talked about but can now this data start making sense from a buying journey from an engaging journey from a d2c standpoint and similarly can this data also then help your service operation team hmm. to optimize for their workflows etc right so that is where the whole ability on on building some sort of a computation models or ai or machine learning models which can leverage that data and start building some of these features similarly with with things which like an iot and all of those coming how do you then enable that amount of uh, you know stream data and and kind of capture that into your uh, setup et etc which is what is again a, a fun and a forward looking thing that uh, how do you create the rightful uh, big data platform on capturing iot data and, and and kind of create the right computation ways to solve for it a little different from what you would have on a big data setup because yeah. the initial uh, initial layers on mqtt and and the uh, and the firmware pushing that data et etc are two three new things that you need to integrate sure. and work with But by and large, the backend remains the same. Hmm. Uh, So, how do you build that capability again on on solving uh, the machine learning or computation-led solutioning? So, we got one person to drive the overall bit on leading the the business side. This is on the business side to ensure that the decision-making, right? So, we got the data, etc. in play. Now, how do you ensure that the the folks on the business side are using that data? So, Hmm. that ownership of saying that, look this person who's in your team is the one who's, who's leading all of this starter while he is getting all of that done with the engineering team or sure. product team etc but he's the guy who's, who's front leading those mm. those requirements those asks etc so that becomes a decision maker or he's a person who drives all of that then you better leverage him and drive that adoption and, and democratization so Democratization, so to say. The so, yeah.
0: between engineering and business from a data standpoint. Data science. so Correct. Whatever has to be surfaced, or whatever has to be utilized on the decision making side of things. Yeah. So, uh, from an all uh, perspective, you have the product guy, the engineering guy, and now also this data guy who interfaces with business. Business Correct. is the one accountable for uh, revenue, I would imagine, or growth. Yeah. And that the whole thing gets stitched up. So, that was one interesting conversation with a technology leader who comes from a new economy kind of context and is now leading transformation in a legacy organization like Eureka Forbes. A few things that really stood out for me extremely well. One, uh, the whole people side of things and the amount of indexing is done on onboarding the people who've been around for long years, plus bringing in really smart chaps from uh, new economy companies. It's not a simple copy-paste exercise, so he's had to interview 300 people before he could find his 16 members which are now running the show. So that's part one. The second part in terms of uh, the ease with which a technology and product leader talks about enablement for marketing in terms of getting the right data together, getting the right systems together, getting the right training together, is a very interesting one because uh, otherwise typically you'll see marketing teams struggling with tech and product teams to get things done from that perspective and if it's been made a priority from a product and tech point of view and part ownership of those key things is also maintained here, this looks much more progressive than a lot of other situations. The third part of the puzzle was in terms of choosing the priorities that you care about and working backwards from the end state that you've defined. Because otherwise, it's very easy to start running a tick box kind of an exercise and then getting lost in that whole game. So to me, these are the three great learnings that we have from the conversation from Shubham. Of course, the entire conversation is very fascinating for a technology leader attempting digital transformation in a legacy setup. So thanks for that. Thanks for the listen.